What's up, everybody? Welcome to Mind Your Money with Miss Be Helpful, a show that highlights people and stories that will inspire you to get your money right. And this week, I'm kicking off the very first interview for Black History Month, which is so near and dear to my heart because it is so important for us to uplift these stories and show people that what is possible, regardless of where you come from, what you look like, if you see somebody that looks like you and shares your background and some of your similar struggles, you're really going to see what's possible for you. So I really wanted to amplify Black voices, especially Black women's voices who talk about money and finance because we're so underrepresented as women of color, but even especially as Black women. So I'm so honored and pumped to have Terry Joma on the show this week, who is the creator of the Trade and Travel course, the number one selling course on Teachable, just an incredible entrepreneur to follow on social media and to just you know keep up with doing amazing work, recently featured on The Breakfast Club. I saw that interview and just loved it. Welcome to the show, Terry. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Girl, it's amazing to actually get like a one-on-one with you because I feel like I know you already just following you on social media, following your journey with your trade and travel course back when it was investing with Terry. Like I remember so many people who were just like talking about it and spreading the word about it throughout the community. And I was like, who is this Terry woman? And then I just started paying attention to your, your platform and was just like, oh, wow, she's the real deal. Like at first, I'm one of those people that does long-term investing. I talk about index funds all the time. And you know, you're skeptical when you see people selling courses about trading and acting investing and you're like oh be careful like what are they promoting because you know that can that can lead to you know emotional issues and tax issues but once you see like what you're really about you can like there's just so much respect right like like put some respect on my name because you really know you know you really know your stuff and you've got um, just an incredible methodology, which I think is so important. I, I haven't done your course, but I know a lot of close friends that I have have taken it. The way they've, um, you know, speak about it, the way that they've kind of, you know, really, I think, developed a mindset to actually be able to do this in a healthy way and not let it take over their life. Like my dad buying lottery tickets is just, it's incredible to, to see that you've included the psychology behind it and so much into your course that is often overlooked in the space of trading. So I really love that. And I respect that about your work. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And you know, the thing about it is anything less than a year is still an active investment. So I know some people will do a swing trade, but they might sell it in seven months or eight months. They still need to know when's the best time to get in and the best time to get out. So sometimes it's not even that you're day trading or looking at it every day, but just knowing what do I need to know about risk management? What do I need to know about the best time to get into a stock or picking the right companies? Those things are important no matter what kind of investor you are. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and the more I've dug into investing, the more I realize that, you know, you're, you can decide how you want to use your money in different ways. You don't have to, it, like, I feel that the industry kind of pit, pitted against each other, like long-term investing and, you know, active trading. It's like, they, those don't have to be enemies. You can actually use them both as tools, which is something like I think is being spoken about a little bit more in the space, but it's not something that traditionally people have positioned to be like a choice you have. It's like, oh, you got to pick and one is better than the other. And one is, and it's like, no, no. Like, why don't we start talking about people that have strategies that mix combinations of those approaches and do that successfully in a way that works for them? And I think there's room for us to really talk about that more and see people doing that like yourself, which is, which is amazing. So- Oh, that's what it's about. Yeah. And we talk about diversity in everything, like diversify your portfolio, do different assets. Well, you can have some part in long-term investing in a small portion where you more actively invest for income. You don't have, like you said, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It could be both. 
That's right. I love that. And I think as long as people have their plans in place for their long term, for, you know, all the different aspects of their financial life, you know, it's the same thing. People say, oh, well, you know, you you can buy individual stocks with a small percentage of your money. Play, that's play money. Do that. Right. But the riskier stuff, you, you have a, you know how much you can put towards that. As long as the bulk of your financial plan is in place and you've got your, you know, your retirement plan and all your things, then you you have room to mix, uh, you know, mix it up. Because otherwise, it does kind of become boring. And I think, especially in, in my work, which I'll tell you a little bit about, like working with young people is so hard to hook them. And when they're in high school and talking about money, they're like, you trying to tell me I need to invest for retirement and I'm 16? Right. The it's hell? Right. <laughs> retirement is old people in Florida. Like, I'm not, that's not me. I don't got to worry about that till I'm old. <laughs> it's really hard to get them to care. And so by talking to them about the lots of different approaches and strategies, you you can actually hook them and at least get a chance to engage them in learning about the stock market and building wealth when they otherwise might just check out. That's so true. That's so true. We got to teach them how to invest for some sneakers. Okay. You want those shoes? How do you invest for that? Oh, you want to go to college? How do you invest for that? (laughs) Right. That's it. Exactly. Okay. So every time I start my show, I like to go into the things that people really don't like to talk about. They like to brush these things under the rug because of a lot of reasons, right? Shame, embarrassment, whatever the thing is. But the the number one biggest thing people don't like to talk about is their biggest money regrets. People just want to like pretend it never happened and maybe it'll just go away. And so, so for me, I like to, you know, let's put that center stage. Let's, let's talk about it. And so I always ask people, what is the one thing, maybe it's a, a, a purchase, an experience or something where you spent so much money and you really wish if you could go back in time and take it back and not do it, that you would do that. What would that be for you? Oh, I think there's two of them. Can I give two or I just yeah, give two? One? Yeah, okay. give two. Two is better than one. <laughs> one of them is I bought this house in Chicago right before the housing crash. And I had bought it thinking that it was going to be like an investment property and the Olympics was coming to Chicago. So I bought it like there was two things wrong. One, I had like, I didn't think about location at all. I bought on top of a liquor store, girl. And so the first seven years, it was just like crackheads every day. Good thing is they protected my door, though. Like they might be in the hallway when it was cold, but wouldn't nobody else come in? They were like, no, this mysterious house. (laughs) But I wish I had like thought about the location a little better. And then also, of course, the housing crash came and like it it dropped in value. So I had to like wait a good minute for it to come back up. Go back up. That's probably one. And then the other one is I wish like there's so many things that I wish I had invested in earlier. Like I was looking at Amazon stock when it was $199. Wow. Yes. And now it's through over 3,000. But back then people were like, well, we don't know if people will buy online. They would rather just go into the grocery store, go into the stores like brick and mortar. Now it's so much different. So of course, everybody says like, I wish I had invested earlier, but I, those are some regrets. I, re, I remember when stocks were so much lower. A- AMD even, like I was actually invested in it when it was $8 per share. Now it's over 118. Like, you know, like what? Yep. Yep. <laughs> that is crazy. And it's and that's the thing is that it's always going to happen. It's going to keep happening because it's impossible to foresee something like a pandemic that puts us in a technolo- like technological world faster than we even were headed. And also just the fact that people 
really did not think that Amazon was going to be what it is today. Like it's really taken over everything. I just saw an ad literally like two days ago about Amazon style. Now they're trying to take over Target. They're trying to sell like clothes in Amazon what? the way. Yeah. Amazon style. I you could, know that. Girl, you heard it from me. You've heard it from me first. You're going to see Amazon style and you gonna be like, that's what it was. You know, Lee told me it is a thing. They're trying to take over every single niche. They had books at first, then they'd start being the everything store. Now they're doing clothes. They did Amazon fresh. So they did food, they all yeah, whole foods. I mean, it's literally food. just little by little, just, they really want to become the, the everything store, which is kind of scary. It's scary, but that's why this is such a great time to invest. Like I'm so excited. Like it's come down over a thousand dollars in the last few months. So this is a great time to get back into it. Like, that's why, like we said, there's, you don't miss out. Like there's another chance to still get invested again. The price of Amazon right now is back to where it was like July of 2020. So if people are thinking like, oh, I missed it. No, like it's here again, like get invested. This is, this is a great time. Yeah, I love that. And I'm I'm a big fan of just like just dollar cost averaging. Like even I don't care if the cost is up, if the cost is down, I just keep buying. I just keep buying. I just keep buying. Because at the end of the day, you like right now it looks like it's high. And when it's way higher, you're looking back like, dang, I thought that was high. That's the low now. In hindsight, the high from back then was is now today's low. So you yeah. you just gotta keep yesterday's just, price is not today's not price. Today's price. <laughs> Thank you to the fat Joe for that one. <laughs> All right. So what about on the flip side of a regret? What is the time where you spent a lot of money like crazy? Somebody else might look at your budget and be like, Terry is out of her mind. She crazy. But you, you stand by that decision. It matches with your values. And even though it's crazy expensive, it was a decision you would make again with your money if you had to today. Yeah. You know, I'm realizing that housing is so important to me. If I don't live somewhere nice, then it messes up my whole day. And it can be both like my home home and also like hotel stays. Mm. So I think like two of them, I know I'm doing two instead of one, but like, so I, I bought a house in Puerto Rico and girl, the houses in Puerto Rico are super, super expensive. And like, I've spent literally millions of dollars on housing in Puerto Rico, but I wouldn't do it for the world. Like some, some you've seen, like y'all saw in my train travel documentary, you saw the big house. And then I, I just recently bought a new condo and like prices are crazy, but just the fact that I have a place where I really love and enjoy and I feel safe, like I'll pay for an upsell in that all day. Yeah. And then I will say, even in hotels, like I, I went to New York recently and there was this like beautiful hotel. I talked about this one on the breakfast club, but girl it was like 3,000 a night, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but it sounds like a lot to me because other mm -hmm. rooms in there were like $300 a night. Right, right. Girl, I was, I was about to go for the $300 one just to be frugal, but <laughs> I'm so glad I upgraded to the big one. It was like their, kind of like their presidential suite. Sweet, the views right. were amazing. Just the experience of that, like my team got to come, we all got to hang out there and we did interviews there like it just changed our whole time in New York so some of those things I'll I'll pay up for an experience yeah no and that and that definitely sets the tone for your team but if it's a business decision it's almost a little different from a personal decision because if it's just you you might you know be willing to sacrifice here or there but when you have a team your business is really reflected by the the types of retreats and events that you have and if it can boost morale and really get more creativity more excitement like that directly impacts you reaching your goals right and people going harder um, on your team 
So, I mean, I, I definitely understand that. And I, I've changed with that as well, like with that specific category, because when I was first, it just, and I also think it depends on like your money situation. Cause back when I was broke, broke, I would you be like, I'm a, right. right. You couldn't, even if I wanted to. And I, and I remember I, I took a trip to Europe and I was like, I'm going to do all the cities that I really wish I had done, you know, sooner in my life. I'm in my mid twenties. I didn't have all that money, but I went and stayed in the rinky dinkiest little tiny room in Paris, right next to um, the Champs-Élysées. And I was like, okay, I'm so close to all the shops. I'm so close to everything, but I'm saving because I'm, I'm you know, buying this or renting this Airbnb room that's, that's saving me money. I should have just stayed somewhere else and paid more because the shower curtain was so boot. Like I, re- I just, to this day, I remember getting in that shower and being like grossed out. Like the shower curtain was from like the 99 cent store and they hadn't changed it in so long. It was just, mm. there wasn't even enough space to shower properly. I, and I, I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. I was like, never again, never again. Sometimes <laughs> not worth it. My, so my grandmother told me this right before she passed. Like the week that she passed, she told me, she said, Tracy, that's, that's my name is Terry Latrice. So she called me Tracy. She was like, Tracy, sometimes you just have to pay for convenience. And she knew the reason. The reason she told me that is because I was like starting to make good money, and I still was riding the mega bus because hey, it was cheaper. I still get there, same amount of time. <laughs> and she was that. like, No, boo. Like sometimes you just got to pay for convenience, and that's something that I'm learning now. Like to so your thing of like. Sometimes you pay a little bit more so you don't have to deal with the gross shower curtain, you know, and you have a better experience and you don't feel gross all day and you're not like kind of dreading going home. Like those things weigh on your whole experience. That is so true. And it weighs on your mood, which then reflects on how you feel about work and life and your kids and all the things. I mean, you literally just take it out on all the aspects of your life. What's internal becomes external. And it's like, if you recognize those things don't bother you, that's one thing. But when it starts to affect you negatively, you got to make note of that because those are the areas where you don't want to skimp and you don't want to be all cheap because it really weighs down on you much bigger than just your financial picture. It starts to weigh on you emotionally and socially, and it just does not create the life that you want for yourself obviously so I think that that's one of the biggest things I'm learning too like as I go into my like mid to late 30s I'm thinking okay how do I make sure that I'm doing values-based spending in order to do that I gotta know myself I gotta know myself better than anybody knows me and that's hard right because sometimes I'm like I don't know what I like I don't know what I want I don't know if but you gotta dig deep challenge yourself know what you like know what bothers you and what you're okay with because that's the only way that you're going to know whether you know the three thousand dollar suite is going to be something that you are going to want to make sure you prioritize or if it's something you know you can do without but you got to know yourself yeah and you know I love this conversation too because that's literally like why I started trading travel I started trading to afford the things that were important to me. Like I wanted to be able to go to some really great restaurants when I traveled. So I traded for that. Like, okay, I know that I like to eat, girl. I like to eat a whole bunch. Like, <laughs> like I know that there's this restaurant in, in Sydney and I really want to do that. And then like, oh, I did. Have you ever seen the lights, the fireworks that go off in the, the beginning of the year in Sydney and Australia? They're yeah. like right under the bridge and- they come all off the bridge. So my friend and I, we were wow. like, we really want to have an experience where we're on a boat, on the water, while the fireworks are going off. And we did that. But wow. I had to trade for that because I wasn't like, at the time, the only way I was making money was trading. So I traded so I could afford that experience. Or there were some other hotels that I wanted to be in, trade to pay for that, trade to pay for the flight to Greece. 
So literally, I'm, I'm so glad we're having this combo because sometimes we do feel like we can't afford things. And that's where the active investing comes in for me. It's like, how do I get just that little bit extra to actually do this thing I really want and enjoy it? Okay, well, let me see if I can use the money I have to pay for that, you know? That's so. right. That's a great point. It's just really thinking about how to maximize where you are. Um, and, and sometimes that looks like a lot, a lot of different ways, right? For some people, it's a certain amount of money that they're willing to, you know, put aside for something like that. For other people, it might be a certain amount of time that like, it, it really just depends on where you are. Um, and so I'm actually, I'm curious to go back to that place in your life where you were really just trading at the time and um, just starting to get into this as like a full-time thing. What was like your professional life like right before that? We all know that you worked in education before you became an entrepreneur. What was like everyday life for Terry before trade and travel? Yeah, so I was in Dallas. Let me take you way back to like 2016. I had been in Chicago for about seven years on and off doing different jobs. Last job in Chicago was like working for a ministry. I was in full-time ministry helping kids that were in lower lower income neighborhoods, but helping them to do better in after school and then like teaching them about, about God. And then I had um, gotten a job to be assistant principal of an elementary school. So coming into that, like my life was pretty basic. It was go to work, come home, have some friends that, you know, every, every now and again, we'd get together, maybe go check out a different restaurant or um, like, you know, everybody's birthday, you got to get together for everybody's birthday, Brunch. right? <laughs> um, and, and so it was pretty simple. I'd go to church on Sunday. It was part of the uh, minister's ministry. So like that was pretty much life. And it was a good life. And it was a life that I, I liked at the time, though, the, the maximum I could even see myself reaching was maybe like 100,000 a year. Like that was kind of the cap on my income. Because if you're in, in school and in education, the, being the principal, you, ba you barely get to see right. That's right. There is right. no more. Um, but the problem came in when I started really like running into problems at work. Like all of a sudden, and it wasn't all of a sudden, it's kind of, I feel like sometimes when you're in a job, like, you know, that it's not going the right way, but sometimes it'll get like worse to where it's unbearable. So then yeah. it was like, I got four bosses and none of them agree on what they want. I do a project and it's automatically wrong. Like there was one, I talk about the, there's one where I had put all this stuff up, like all these posters on the wall. And then I used one thumbtack that was a different color than the other thumbtacks. And actually it was really my, my, right. My janitor had actually just ran out of thumbtacks. I got in so much trouble because she said, well, you know, you don't pay attention to detail. You have one thumbtack. That's not the right color. Really? Out of all the stuff I did, but like another story that, that sticks out to me is we had to recruit kids to come to the school. And that was one of the parts of my job that I just really didn't like. And I feel like, have you, have you ever had one of those parts of your job where you're like, I just don't like that part. If it's I do one aspect, but right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the paperwork or the phone calls or something. For me, okay. it was recruiting kids. Like in order to be at our charter school, we had to go find the kids and we would have to go door to door. So wow. yes, one of the assistant principals had, had told me, well, Terry, I want you to organize. Well, it was, it was actually the boss of the principal. She had said, I want you to organize where this principal goes out and they knock on doors. So I do this whole thing. And then he comes into my office and he's like, look, Terry, 
let me just tell you right now, I'm not knocking on no doors. <laughs> so I'm sitting here in the middle, like, she said, I got to tell you to go lock on doors. You telling me you're not going to knock on doors. <laughs> and then I, so I'm like, okay, well, so then I still got to figure it out because we still got to recruit kids. So I said, okay, fine. This is what we'll do. We'll invite all the families to the school and then you can meet with them here. I'm thinking, great idea. He says, yeah, great idea. We do the whole thing. All the parents come meet with him and I'll, I'll cut the, the, the story short. But do you know that she pulls me into her office and like almost, she didn't cuss, but she almost cussed me out. Like, I can't believe that you did this. I told you to do this. And he, and I'm like, he told me he is not going on any door. I'm supposed then, to twist his arm? What am I? This hello? Is a man. This is a grown man. So anyway, what then happens is later on, I find out he throws me under the bus. Well, I didn't know you wanted us to go knock on doors. What? <laughs> so just craziness no. like this, the politics. No, no, po- I was about the, to say the politics. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the feeling like you're stuck in a hard, like between a rock and a hard place. Like I can't get this right between y'all two. And then like, I'm going to get thrown under the bus. Like what is going on? So that kind of stuff was happening. And I started like getting stressed out. My hair was losing hair. I was gaining weight, just I, I couldn't figure out how to how to get out of this. So my exit right. strategy was investing. Like, okay, I had learned about it in high school, learned about it in college. If I could just get this right, then I don't have to deal with these people no more. But how lucky are you that you got this in high school and college and you kind of thought back to that and said, wait, hold up, what about that that I learned about before? Let me go back to that. You know, if you had never learned about that, if, you, if it wasn't even on your radar, you'd probably still be there frustrated as hell because you couldn't, see another way you couldn't find a pathway to allow you to see an exit from that situation like for me I girl I I graduated from Brown University could not tell you what a stock was I could not tell you I mean I got a scholarship I got my master's degree I joined Teach for America I I was teach I did all the things that you're supposed to do when you grow up in the hood you do it right you go go to college you go do the things and and I could not tell you what the S&P 500 was at the age of 24 23 I couldn't tell you what a 401k was when I was literally signing paperwork for my 403b I was just looking over at the teacher next to me and copying everything she wrote I wrote she was like she wrote like moderately aggressive mutual fund I wrote moderately aggressive mutual fund I just copied her whole like a cheating on a test because I never had anybody talk to me about the stock market so you you were in such a I would say a fortunate position to have had access and exposure at a young age and I know like I've heard um other of your interviews where you've said that that was something that you credit to uh, programs, access programs yeah. for low-income kids yeah. and students of color, which is amazing to put kids from sp- certain environments in an opportunity in in a, in a a space where they actually will have access to the type of information that you generally do not get access to when you come from certain zip codes or certain families or certain incomes. And so, I mean, it's just so powerful to know you you got it. You know, you didn't use it right away, but then you went back to it. That's yeah. that's very powerful. You said you worked with kids. There's this scripture that says like train up a child the way they should go. And like later they'll come back to it. And I feel like that was, that was a big part for me. Like all these programs that my mom put me in. I'm so thankful now at the time I was like, I don't want to do this. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't want to go, but I'm so glad that they were there for me. Like, man, like, and I know like this is going to air during black history month. I just want to like give props to all of the people that are helping black and brown and minority students that are in lower 
like lower income areas, whether it is Teach for America, like both of us were part of, or whether it's, I was in a, a program called LEAD, that's the one that exposed me to business schools, or SEO, that's the one that I CEO, interned yeah. on, on Wall Street, Wall Street. that one, like there's those programs, even inroads where you intern at different companies. Like I was part of all of them and I needed it because my mom was a single mom. We didn't have access to all that stuff. So I'm so thankful for, for even actually like us. I feel like we are doing a good service too. Like this podcast and the education that we're putting out there, people wouldn't yeah. know without you. So good job. Just good Thank job. Thank you. Oh, I love that. I love that. And so, and when, so you're talking about being in an environment where politics is really making it hard for you to thrive and be, and feel joy. Right. I feel like a lot of people, like for me, um, coming out of Teach for America, like it, it kind of had a little bit of the like, uh, corporate kind of, you know, fusion with nonprofit, but it felt a lot more impact driven than, than corporate. Right. Versus I feel like when you are in spaces like that are very, very political, it tends to feel very corporate. And I feel like corporate work or like working on wall street, they tend to drive you to be in spaces that are so hyper political that it makes you either learn to navigate that and like be cunning and sly and know how to work people and know how to work those spaces. So you move up or hate it so much that you have to get an egg, you have to get out. Like you just need to leave. Like you can't do it because of the, those politics. So like you, you had an opportunity to do SEO. So I imagine you were exposed to spaces like corporate spaces early in wall street, um, early, but did you feel like, was that something that maybe consciously or subconsciously was a reason why you kind of avoided going directly to wall street after, and instead maybe choosing another route because you felt like you kind of got a sense for that. Or am I just like, I don't want to put that on you, but I, I'm curious yeah. about that. Cause I know that dynamic can be very off-putting for people. Yeah. You know what actually happened? I, during that SEO time, I had looked at consulting, management consulting and, and wall street. And when I was on wall street, I couldn't, I couldn't come to terms with the idea of like being in a cubicle and being inside the building all day <laughs> because all day. Back there, the, the, the stigma was, okay, I'm going to be in here 24 hours. They're going to let me just go out for lunch. I'm going to have to sleep at my desk and like, we're going to work really, really hard and we're never going to have a life. And then in consulting, the idea was, okay, you still work really, really hard and you're still like doing a ton of grunt work, but at least you get to travel and fly to places. So yeah. that was really the thing for me. Like they had asked me, Terry, do you really want to be here? And they could kind of tell that I wasn't sure I was on the edge. And, and I ended up saying, you know what? And it, I, I said them in the worst way. I was like, actually, I used to think that this was the devil, but now that I'm here, it's not so bad. And you don't sell a job. <laughs> oh my gosh. I used to think you were the devil, just straight up the right. devil. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and I, I'm sure that my boss, like or the future boss would have been, he was like, dang, Terry, that was not what. <laughs> you shouldn't have said that girl. What, what are you doing? <laughs> Um, so I ended up going and working in consulting, which is the thing I had wanted to do anyway. But really, that was it. Like, I, I couldn't come to terms with being in an office all day, 24 hours. Like, that just, that was so tough for me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And even, honestly, even in schools, like, I kind of felt a little bit of that myself. Once I, I, I did teach for America for two years, then I did a third year of teaching. And I started, it, the, my third year is when it really hit me. Like, I was like, I'm in here all day, every day 
from 7, 15 in the morning, shaking hands with the scholars, every single one of them come in. I'm on, I'm on yeah. smiling. Good morning. I'm on all day. And then at 420, the bell rings. I bring them down for dismissal. It's now 5 p.m. I have been on all day, giving my love, giving my energy, teaching, being like essentially performing because I'm in front of babies. You know, I taught third grade. And it's like, you don't get a break. You can barely take a break for the restroom. You don't go nowhere but your classroom, the, the cafeteria recess. That's it. You're literally just in these. And I was like, all right. So if I retire, if I can picture my life where I'm retiring as a teacher, am I, me personally, going to be happy with coming into this building all day, every day, 10 months out of the year and doing this year in a year? Like after I really like I had come like an existential crisis with that, I was like, no, I don't think like, I know plenty of people love that. They love the routine. They love the community. They love the fact that all the, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's like a family. It's a second family and it's your second home. I didn't feel those feelings. I felt like what you said, like, I felt like I was more trapped in a space where I wasn't going to be able to see more or do more. And that was for me, a signal that I knew I needed to exit, um, you know, the traditional kind of classroom in terms of teaching. And I needed to figure out other ways to use my skill set. Cause it's just it's too much. Cause I can totally see you, like I could see you flourishing as like a principal and admin and all those things. But I totally agree. People don't even understand that it's not even, it doesn't stop at the end of the day. Like after yeah. the class stops, then you go into all this professional development, then you got to take it home, do all the work, like plan for the next day. Make all the phone papers. calls. Like, yes. And then at the same time, on top of that, you got to deal with like, okay, what if the parent doesn't come pick up their kid? Now everybody is waiting for the last kid to go. <laughs> Just like, come on now, where's your mommy? Where's your mommy? Where's your mommy? <laughs> Did somebody Baby. call her parent? Like, okay, is somebody still here? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's just a lot. It's a lot. But, and again, I think like that's why as early in life as you can find out the, the what you love and like the spaces that you love and thrive in, there is somebody who loves that. There is somebody out there who loves being there till 6 p.m. with that last baby till they get picked up and going to the precinct if they have to, if it's 6.30 and they got to drop them off the precinct on the way home. Like they thrive off being that person that's there for all those kids. And I'm like, that's amazing. I realized early on it wasn't me. If I hadn't paid attention to that, I would still be there pretty miserable. And this is when, you know, we get into these situations where you now you're in a rut. Now you're, you, you know, in depression. Now you don't understand why you're not. Well, because you ignored that gut feeling that was telling you that you need to figure out another path. That you need to figure out how to use your skill set in a way that allows you to experience joy most of the time. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say every day I wake up and it's joy, 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 joy. There's some days where things are rough. But for the most part, I, I love what I do. I love educating youth. I love training teachers. I love being on YouTube. I love meeting people like you. Like I get to do... 85, 90% of the time, things that I absolutely love. And that's what, you know, I feel like if more people can figure out how to, to seek that, like you realizing I need to, I need access to more. I need to figure out how to tap that. I'm going to go back to the stock market and see what that can do for me. Like getting not just the realization, but then backing it up by taking action is hard, but that's what we got to do. Yeah. It's that first step. That's actually the hardest one. The one that's like, okay, I'm going to leave this cushy job that I've been doing for the last couple years and then the part two where it's like dang after I wonder like did you have this feeling after a couple years you're like dang stuff is starting to get a little easier like I got my systems in place like I'm gonna leave now like it's about to get easier <laughs> that was I'm, the about to get a ra- I'm about to get a raise I'm about to get a title yeah. change a promotion it's always something always. but then choosing your happiness 
Like it's the hardest part and it's really scary, but it's also the best and most fulfilling part. Like I chose me and I chose like what would make me happy. And it turns out that that actually makes more money than where I was before, but that's the hardest step ever. It's just, it's completely unknown. We're so scared. We're so afraid, you know? Um, and, and that actually, I think that's a good transition to my question about fear, because what, I, what I've been talking to a lot of people about is just, just getting into the stock market, right? Like make sure you have your basis covered, do the basics, have your savings account, have your emergency, save, like do all the things. I mean, you know, personal finance has levels to it. You're not going to jump into one step without taking care of the previous step. So you want to make sure you take your steps in order. But if you are at a place where you have extra income and you or extra savings, and you do want to think about investing, there's a lot of people, personally, I know. I can think of two examples in the past like few months where a, a family member or a friend, a very close friend of a family member straight up told me that they had like 50, $90,000 in a savings account. Yes, doing cash. nothing. Nothing, <laughs> nothing. And it's crazy because I'm like, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, that, that doesn't happen. People don't do that. You know, like, because I'm so deep into the space, reading money books in the personal finance space for years now. I'm like, that doesn't have people know people know not to do that who has $90,000 in a savings account that's not even a high yield savings account not a CD no a regular degular traditional 0.001% interest like like doing nothing losing value because of this high ass inflation we're dealing with right now like just losing money and feeling safe feeling good about it feeling secure about that decision because it gives them this false sense of like peace because they're like, I can go to bed. I got all this money if anything happened. Little do they know that they're losing by making that move because of their fear of getting involved with the stock market. So yeah. what would you say as somebody who who's mastered like a lot of different approaches, you know, technical analysis isn't necessarily something that's for everybody, but the fact that you use that to teach people how to be able to, you know, position themselves to make money in the short term, not just the long term is incredible. And for somebody who's afraid to even take that leap to, to just even, you know, get started with the stock market because of that fear and just keeps them in like, you know, inertia, what would you say, especially young women, because I feel like men are more likely to take the leap afraid women will be like, no, 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 I got to figure it out. I got to, I got to learn more. I got to, girl, you're never going to know everything you need to know. Like you got to get in, but the fear stops, blocks them from taking action. Yeah. There's like a couple things that came to mind. Like one is risk management, but I actually want to start first with what if you could just invest in the overall market? Like last year, the S&P 500, and I'm sure you've taught, taught people on this too, but it went up 26.9%. And so while, while the money that you had was just sitting in, not you, but anybody listening to me, <laughs> but, but while the money that's sitting in a savings account was safe, it made 0%. Money that's sitting in uh, something that could follow the index, the overall market could have made 26% return. So your opportunity cost by not doing it is you just actually lost. You lost out on 26%. You lost out on any kind of interest by just having it sit in a savings account. Yeah. So the bigger fear, I think, would be the fear of, of losing, really. Like saving, putting it in the savings account actually should be more scary than, than at least trying. So that's, that's one thought. And then the other thing is there is ways to protect your risk. And I think that's what a lot of, especially females, we don't know. We think that if you put something into the stock market, like hands off. I'm never going to see it again. I'm so scared. Like I don't have any control, but that's not true. 
There's things like an order type called a stop loss. You can literally put that into the computer and it says, if the stock comes down to this price, get me out of the trade. That literally tells you, I'm not risking any more than I'm willing to risk because I have protection in there. You can do that on any trade. Even if you're a long-term investor, you can say, you know what? I'm not going to put it too close to my investments, but I'm going to just have some kind of fail safe in here that says, if the market does come down, I won't lose too much. So there are ways to protect your risk. Um, of course, there are things that you have to learn. That's why we're here educating, but there are ways to protect your risk. And then no matter what, even if it's in the overall market, not every year is going to be 26.9%. Usually the average is like eight to 10%. But That's there right. are ways that we can teach you, like I'm even doing a five-day challenge, literally teaching people how to invest in the overall stock market. Like just starting there and taking that first step would be ideal. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think, and for a beginner who feels afraid of the stock market, that is an incredible first step because it's actually the most simple approach that's highly recommended by most experts. Once you feel like you're good there and you got the basics, Go ahead and, and, and learn some of the more advanced stuff because now you're you freed up some mental capacity to be able to learn more advanced techniques, but you got to get those basics. You have to get the simple stuff down and feel confident about that to free up that mental space because the fear is literally crippling a part of your brain that could be made available to learn this new information, but that fear is literally just blocking it off. And so you got to get over that. Starting with the basics and a simple, like just opening up a, a brokerage account, buying a couple shares of an S&P or ETF. Yeah. Boom. That, that sounds like That's scary one. to some people who don't know what that means, but it's actually on the more basic side. And if you can get that, whew, you'll be leaps yeah. and bounds from where you are now. Especially now. Like I'm, I'm just so excited that we're talking now. This is the beginning of 2022. I know people will hear this all year. But the S&P and the market has come down. So now you're getting in at a great entry point. Like this is definitely the time to start investing. Well, educational purposes only. I got to do a disclaimer. There was a risk in everything. I'm not telling you what to do. But personally, what I'm thinking about right now is I am so excited the market has come down. So I get a chance to invest in some things that I might have missed out on in the past. So this is a, a great time to start looking, even if you don't do all the money in your savings account, just a little bit of it. This is a good time to try to start thinking about getting into something else. No, that's a great point. It's like when you walk by the storefront, you see a coat you really wanted and you're like, oh, that coat is $350. I'm just pass on that. And that same day or the next day, you get an email with a 50% off coupon to that coat. Does that change your thinking about you getting it? It might, right? So, so thinking about when the stock market goes down, interpreting that and perceiving that as a sale is the best advice I ever got. And I think I read that in a JL Collins, A Simple Path to Wealth, which is, you know, he talks a lot about index fund investing and dollar cost averaging, but that just the concepts that he has that are analogies were so helpful. Like the seasons, right? Winter, spring, summer, fall, that happens in the stock market. You got to expect the cycles, right? Cyclical, you're not going to expect that. You can't go in and think it's always going to be summer, summer, summertime. Like, no, it's going to snow. Sometimes it'll be real cold and you got to deal with that and understand that that's part of the economic cycle. It's important so to keep that in mind. Yeah. Sure. I love that. Well, I got two more questions for you. So um, we talked about fear and I think that being intimidated by the stock market is a huge problem, especially for women of color. So I love that you address that. Um, and I'm curious to know 
what you would say to somebody who's been implementing strategies that they're learning. Maybe they're in trade and travel. Maybe they've done the first part of your course and they're like, all right, I'm doing all the things. And maybe they're still in a simulation account, right? Maybe they're still just trying, they haven't even put real money because they haven't hit their goals yet, but they're just not seeing the result. Like they're trying, they're studying, they're doing all the things and they're starting to feel like they're gonna, they're like about to lose hope. They're like, it's not working. I've been trying, I'm trying I can't get my thousand dollars a day. I can't do, I'm not, I'm not seeing the results. What yeah. would you say to them if they're in that place right now? I've been training for 12 years. And for the first six years, like it was hard. Like I was, I was trying to figure it out on my own. It wasn't coming together. So one, I would say, give yourself grace. If you, especially if you're in trade and travel, I've only had the class three years. So you haven't had long enough. <laughs> you haven't really, hit six yet. <laughs> right. To, to really, to really get it down, but it can take up to a year to start being consistent. So as a trader, I do want to give you guys that like, Set your expectations that it's easy to learn, but it takes a lot longer to get consistent. So that's one. Another thing is sometimes it's the timing of the market. You're not doing anything wrong, but the market itself is, is wonky. Right now in the beginning of 2022 and even the end of 2021, like the whole market has fallen. So it's not just active investors that are losing. Also, long-term investors are seeing some dip in their portfolio. So sometimes you also just have to know when to back up and not trade. This time with inflation going up, us not knowing what we're going to do with the debt ceiling, uh, potential war in Russia, like there's, there's always going to be something. But the thought is sometimes when you're messing up or feeling like it's not working, take a little break, like step back from it for a little while, enjoy your life, step away from investing and then come back. Because sometimes just having a different perspective when you come back is helpful. And that's just part of, as you become a better and better trader, sometimes you just learn, learn the ebbs and flows of the market. Right, right. now is weird. Everybody's like, we don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> but at the same time, we do know when opportunity is there. And we know that it is on clearance. There is some opportunity. So we're getting our shopping list together. But if you're struggling right now, that would be my advice. It's okay to step back for a little bit, stop trading, and then come back. Yeah, it's going to be a lot better to step away and come back fresh than quit and never like reap the benefits of you actually getting the skill honed because, and it also reminds me, like I, I took a lot of art classes in college and I remember I would have like these big projects where I had to do like five foot by five foot canvas paintings. And oh like, I mean, there's bigger than that, but that's, that's big for, you know, for you to start with nothing and you have to fill up that canvas with something that you're, you're proud of. And I would just, I remember I would get somewhere where I thought I liked it and then I would frustrate, I'd be frustrated. And then I'll be in the studio till like midnight. I'm like, okay, you know what? I need to just leave and just step away from it. I'm yeah. not able to see it in a way that's going to give me the clarity in terms of what I can do next. I can't see it right now with fresh eyes. I'm frustrated. It's late. I'm tired. I've been going at it and I would just leave the studio go take a nap, go hang out with my friends, go do what I got to do the next day, maybe the next night or two nights later, I would come back and look at it and be like, oh, I just need to switch up the composition. This needs some blue. I need to throw in some blue over here, cover that. And bam, it's because getting that fresh view with new eyes can be everything you needed to propel you forward rather than pushing yourself past that limit of frustration and then quitting. Yes, exactly. And the thing is too, that during this time, like if you're really frustrated during that time, your emotions are going to like step in and it's going to be so hard for you to get over your emotions. 
because the things that are going through your head are like oh well maybe I should do it maybe I shouldn't like there's this this um, uncertainty that takes over and then if you get it wrong then you start beating yourself up like oh man I knew I shouldn't have done that so like the next big part is you got to get a control over your emotion and then come back with that fresh eye too I love that. That is so true because our inner voice in our head will be our worst enemy. It'll be the number one worst enemy that you can have is self-doubt and just in your head, constantly talking to you in negative ways and knowing when to recognize that that's happening, either changing course of your thoughts or just stepping away because it's, it's, it's really hard when you're deep in emotions to stop and to catch yourself and to talk yourself out of it because you're already in the thick of it, especially when it's negative emotions and negative self-thought. Ooh, that can, it can just get uglier and uglier. It can just fester. So it's probably best to just get away from it. Really can. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Don't quit guys. Don't quit. Just take, like we said, take a step back or during those times when you feel like you are going to quit, that's when you move money to the longer term investment. Or you move some money over and say, okay, I'm going to just invest in the S&P 500 now. And then I'll come back and maybe later do some more single stocks when I feel a bit more comfortable with them. So that's another way to also use that time when you're feeling a bit frustrated. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I love that. Terry, thank you so much for all your wisdom. I just have loved having you here. I always end the show with a mantra, some type of money mantra, money message um, you know, money motto that you want to leave with people that you impart on them so that when they're making decisions, whether that's with investing or even just spending money and making money choices throughout their day-to-day life, what is this money message or money model that you want them to constantly keep at top of mind to help guide them in the right direction with money and with building wealth? Ooh, you know what? I'm going to go with, my mom told me recently, money doesn't buy happiness, but it does buy you dignity. So one more time, like money can't buy you happiness, but it does buy you dignity. And what she was talking about was at that time, like she was trying to get some some surgery, like some medical things done, and the people weren't giving her the right, right procedures. And like the lady, basically, my mom usually would have just had to hold her head down and not get the surgery because she couldn't afford it. But right. she had the money, she could hold her head up high. She could ask for what she actually really needed. She could make sure, demand that they treat her right and give her the right care. And so that's the thing. It's not so much that money can buy you happiness, but I do think that money can help give you dignity, allow you to stand up for what's best for you and your family. I love that. That is so true. And that's what we all want, right? Like all all we want in life is to be able to have security for our loved ones, for ourselves, to feel secure knowing that what I need, I will be able to get. And that's, I mean, that feeling alone is like, you know, that, that security is, I think what people are constantly trying to chase and, and money does provide that money does allow you to know, like, no worries. I got it. You know, if my mom needs something, if my sibling needs something, if my babies need something, if my girlfriend needs something, I got it. That can really bring you to a peaceful place. Um, and I think because there's so much negativity around, oh, money, money's the root of all evil. Oh, money's going to change you. Oh, money makes rich people act crazy. Then you're going to be, then you're going to go become a Republican and vote for Trump if you got money because you're going to want to lower your taxes. And it's like, what are you talking? You can have values and also have money. <laughs> like, you really you gotta- can. It'll just give you a little bit more freedom and a little bit more options to do what you want to do. (laughs) That's right. I love that. All right. Well, how can people keep up with you, follow you? I mean, you know, obviously social media and stuff, but where can people make sure to continue to stay connected with you? 
Yes. So definitely check us out everywhere at Trade and Travel. We have a free webinar on how to make $1,000 in a day at tradeandtravel.com. You can find me on YouTube at Trade and Travel and also on Instagram at Trade and Travel. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Terry. It was so amazing to talk with you and to have you on the show and to kick off Black History Month with a story of an incredible Black entrepreneur just doing things and showing women what's possible. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.